0: tony and josh from ggch of course trip fuller and Homebrewed christianity and a whole grip of others and you can use the promo code return of yhp all one word for 25 dollars off your ticket prices go up starting june 1st that link will be in the notes i hope to see a bunch of you guys there in october it was a serious highlight of last year for me All right, Mark Scandrett, welcome back for a third response episode to the Prime Video docuseries, Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets, a brief recap of what we've been doing here. We are doing one response episode per episode of the series, four in total. You yourself grew up in the kind of Bill Gothard Institute for Basic Life Principles homeschool. Uh, stew and for, at the beginning of your married and family life, we're stewarding your family along these principles until you and your wife sort of were able to detach a few years in. And your journey has been quite different since then. But that's why we are talking. And what we're doing again is first half or so of these conversations is on the main You Have Permission feed, second half is for patrons only. We're we're trying to make sure that any kind of public information type stuff that we'd want people to know is in that first half, so that most people can have access to it. And we're letting ourselves, you know, get a bit uh, more off topic, follow rabbit trails, etc. In the second half. And today we are discussing episode three. Now I have to say I'm having a problem with Evernote. <laughs> uh, I wrote a bunch of notes yesterday on my phone about the episode uh when i was away from the house i logged on on my computer this morning and it updated that note without any of that those additions so i lost <laughs> all those notes i recreated some of them but it might be a little bit more off the cuff uh this episode than previous episodes my apologies uh to listeners if that affects the quality of anything here but i think it'll be fine
1: yeah i think i think you're a pro dan we, we, you might have not even had to say anything and people
0: wouldn't have noticed. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that, that's, that's very kind. So I'll do my little usual recap, which I, I'm grateful to you because you had actually kind of taken these notes about all the things that the episode covered. This was an episode that went really deep into two or three facets of the story. Um, I would say chief among them, the labor and payment issues, especially for Jill and Jessa, the older daughters and they're like quite astounding lack of payment even after they turned 18 and were themselves bona fide reality television stars who were not receiving pay. We got into Bill Gothard himself and his grooming of multiple sexual assault victims, as well as we got accounts of some of those assaults and uh, little snippets like via this recover uh, sort of... Uh, I guess, victim recovery user website, right? And we also got a deeper look into the way that those issues of both uh, sexual assault and the extreme difficulty for victims and survivors to bring anybody to account because of the system set up, as well as the way that the financial stuff both of those impact with this larger structure of authority as Gothard taught and teaches it and how, you know, God, then maybe maybe Gothard. But depending on how you view it, certainly the husband, the father of the family, and then under him, the wife, under her, the children, and this really strict patriarchal mm-hmm. power system. Um, we also got a little bit of stuff about money,
1: even a hierarchy between. Older children and younger children.
0: Yeah, right. That 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 authority and hierarchy, and and this bizarre idea that the authority is like almost literally transferred between males, and some of the ways that that Gothard used that in devious ways to his own benefit. We also got a little bit of talk about money and political influence and power, and some of the stories that the women told who spent time at the main headquarters with Bill Gothard. Uh, there were some really interesting kind of additional details in there that shed light on just more of the aspects of of how women were taught to look, behave, the kinds of women that the IBLP was really trying to create, and uh, this was a, a a very disgusting episode to watch. Um, before I get into some of my PSAs, my my. Uh, you know, sometimes annoying, wonky, uh, well, technically, is you know, general reactions to the episode, Mark?
1: This one really hit close to home. It definitely feels like in this episode, we shifted from general things about IBLP culture and the Duggar family to more of the inner workings of the organization who Gothard was himself. But as we've seen every time we've talked about this, there's, th- this is a specific story that I think people are resonating with this series because even if you weren't part of IBLP or were raised specifically in a uh, Gothard-influenced or homeschool family, these a lot of these themes of patriarchy and lines of authority and purity culture, unpaid labor because you're getting an opportunity to serve, I think are common themes in more conservative Christian groups in
0: general. In my mind, there's a really tricky tightrope to walk there. Let me see if I can land this plane here. One of the things that's going on in homeschool families, in more patriarchal and conservative families that nonetheless are existing within a very individualistic culture like the United States or other Western European industrialized cultures you know the commonwealth countries etc is that it's kind of a recreation of a communalist collectivist culture mm-hmm. like the near east like eastern countries like some latin american countries and what i'm trying to be careful in my own mind and it's it's not an easy task is to separate out okay what is potentially a legitimate vision for society based on collectivist principles versus what is like exploitation or probably exploitation in most instances or, or something to that effect where we'd actually really want the law involved, you know, kind of a situation mm-hmm. because some of this stuff is like if you were to just describe all the behaviors, but then you said, this is a family in Southern Mexico. And you'd say the children begin labor for the family version. Or if you say this is just a family in 1000 AD, Mm -hmm. pre-industrial revolution, you know, and they start helping out on the farm when they're six or seven and they get more and more tasks as they get older. Like in those contexts, some of this stuff would be not only normal, but even normative. This would Mm -hmm. be what families do in difficult circumstances to survive economically, to come together there's like some footage of like how much could get done and talk about how much could get done in a day mm-hmm. or two because all hands on deck and you have all these hands. And, you know, it's interesting because they're combining that with like Jill and Jessa not getting paid for being television stars, <laughs> which those those things are related. They're also distinct from each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are child labor laws in this country. The, those laws are great. Like, it's just an issue of like, One of the things that's important for me as a therapist, when I have a client who is not from a Western culture, either they're an immigrant or their parents are immigrants and they have a different cultural mindset imbued into them, is to not assume all the norms of Western culture before doing therapy with them. It can damage their ability to make progress in therapy. I can end up being bigoted and sort of small minded and, you know, really doing a kind of white savior complex thing. So, it's a really tricky it's a it's a tricky tightrope. I wonder if you felt any of that or if that resonates with you.
1: You know, I, it hit me very personally because uh, particularly around the labor stuff, I volunteered in a summer mission project when I was 13, 14, 15 and I was working 8 to 10 hours a day. I went to these camps where we were being trained and I had to wear uh, dress clothes in the hot, humid Minnesota summers, and wow, that felt very like you know the the proper dress, almost like a Mormon kind of right. you know uniform. Felt very out of sync for me with my Western individualist culture, and we see it. I, I think I, I I perceived it as controlling. But then I go to places even like the UK, where every kid is expected to wear a school uniform. Yeah, in that society, there's a proper way of doing things, and so the meaning of things sometimes is contextual to the environment. I think that's true. Um, so, so yeah. So when you're being when, when you're part of a subculture that has different norms than what you perceive as the dominant culture, it, it creates an otherness. And has it has a spin on it or a charge on it that it might not if it was just how the dominant uh, culture might be, and and when when I in my intercultural relationships where I've encountered the same thing you have with therapy clients, I really have to run it through the you know there like my friends in places like Bangladesh, it's a very hierarchical culture. Yeah, let's just say that's maybe a traditional culture where there's either a patriarchy or a matriarchy. Mm That's the order of society and it's, and things are very clear and it's very, it has order to it. And a lot of the Western democratic experiment has been about radical freedom and individualism and individualism isn't better than collectivism. (laughs) Like there's, there's some things about human flourishing that are more difficult to achieve in an individualist culture. We feel a lot of loneliness. I think it might be close to an equal exchange of potential goods and dangers.
0: Yeah, one thing that seems true to me is that collectivist cultures are worse at protecting individual victims, Mm -hmm. right? And individualist cultures are better at raising the rights of every individual in the culture. Collectivist cultures seem a little bit better at instilling meaning, purpose, and structure in people's lives. Mm -hmm. But you get a bad patriarch and you're fucked, right? And so that's really, that's the danger. And, you know, frankly, I think it's probably above my pay grade to put, like, I I mean, I I resonate with what you're saying. There There are costs and benefits to individualist cultures and collectivist cultures. I don't know whose job it is to sort of say, if one's better than the other, when I'm doing therapy in a Western context in the United States with a client who lives in the United States, I feel like it's ethically viable for me to err on the side of individualism because mm-hmm. that's the culture in which they are living and, and moving about. Now, if they are really embedded in a collectivist family or situation like that, then I would I probably would have to rethink that. I haven't had any of those clients yet. So far, all my clients I've been living in a more atomized, you know, nuclear family type of a situation and do want those sort of Western values for themselves. So that's been a little bit easier for me, but those are just tricky stuff to navigate. And you, you want to be careful to not do some sort of new kind of colonialism or imperialism in in your mindset. Okay. That's, that's really interesting stuff. I got a couple PSAs. These are my, I'm doing these every episode, just kind of stuff that comes up that, I think it's maybe worth shedding some research or scholarly light on, and I've got two for this week. The first one is around the term cult, and this is something that has really not made its way from scholarship into the mainstream, but religious scholars do not use the word cult anymore to describe cults or or what we might consider to be cults. We call them new religious movements. So there already was a word cult in the scholarship world, which just means basically any religious group uh, is a cult. It's a small C. It's not a negative term, you know, so like if you're reading New Testament scholarship, they will talk about, you know, the early Christian cult or they'll talk about the cult around Mithraism or the cult around this Greek goddess or, you know, whatever, like cult just is a value neutral term to mean a religious group. So in the scholarship, we call them new religious movements if they are new. And this is done to avoid kind of tipping the scales. You know, scientists try to describe, not prescribe. That's not the job of of a scientist, even a social scientist. Think about early Buddhism And I choose Buddhism because it is a religion that most people in the West do not have any huge moral qualms about, right? We, we tend to think of Buddhism as having provided a lot of value. We think about mindfulness and meditation, you know, nonviolence, and these people are walking around following this guy who renounced all his money and has these teachings about enlightenment. Imagine the first 40 years of that, we would call that a cult, but like, do we really want to call that a cult is just the beginning of Buddhism and some religions last longer than others. And then they aren't called cults anymore. It's just, it's a, the fact that it's new seems like a bad reason to call it bad essentially and mm-hmm. give it that value laden negative term. So hence new religious movements. Now, if someone is purely anti-religious, there's no problem here because they just think all religions are bad. So if they're new or old, we should get rid of all of them. And, you know, get a John Lennon Imagine tattoo or something like that. I'm being a little bit rude there. Sorry. As everybody know, who listens to this show knows, I am not anti-religious. I am anti-unhealthy religion and abusive religion. And so I don't want to call all religions bad either. And I think that it doesn't, honest, it doesn't, it's not an honest way of looking at the evidence of what religions do in people's lives either. I think it's inaccurate and irresponsible, especially from a scholarly perspective. Okay. That's all my stuff on cult versus new religious movement. Any any interaction with that stuff?
1: Well, sounds like culture. And I think they're linguistically related. And so any group of people doing purposeful activities are going to be developing a common culture, yeah, ways of being together, rhythms, a set of vocabulary words that they use, uh, values they hold in common, you know, CrossFit is a is a cult it's a culture (laughs) yeah yeah uh it's a culture yeah right any subcultural group or interests that a person might have sailing kayaking are two things i'm into and they have their own set of how we dress and how we talk and how we spend our time and a code so i like to think that religion you know as many people may know comes from this word to bind that we're longing for a shared understanding of reality is what I'm seeing and thinking in my head. Does anybody besides me see, uh, see the same thing? Are we living in the same world? And so we are, I can think it's just a human impulse to look, look to belong and religion has been one historically has been one of those things probably increasingly in the west it's our values around capitalism and consumption and
0: individualism that are the framing beliefs and value structures well and on the left on the socio-political left and i uh moral progress i think that's mm-hmm. taken a lot of the place there in terms of that's our the moral arc of the universe is long bends towards justice. That's a, almost like a Christ was crucified, Christ is risen. You know, whatever. Like one of those early. Yeah, that is like become kind of the the, the rallying cry and the foundational statement in a lot of ways for more secular progressives. It nonetheless yeah. orients us ethically and morally, places us in a story. And actually a story that I don't disagree with, you know, like I, I actually, I don't Mm -hmm. have a problem with that. That lives in my mind alongside my Christian commitments, but you notice it when, when the religious commitments are gone, that I think is doing a lot of the work for people.
1: I was drawn to Bill Gothard's teaching because it did provide a, um, an ordered way of life. And a way to belong um some common common aims or goals for me and my wife lisa and you know you felt I felt a sense of particular kinship with other people who were trying to shape their lives in similar ways and that that's a really wonderful and powerful dynamic that can also be easily misused you know legalism is a very common thing when you Uh, What do we do with the person who doesn't follow our code or set of values?
0: And how do we police that? You know, actually that's a really good segue into it. Let's call it pedantic PSA one B, which is that a term that I like more than cult or whatever is like high control religious environment. Mm -hmm. I think that even that people can feel like that's kind of weighting things, but it is kind of empirical, right? Like, how much are you required to adhere to a set of rules? And, you know, with the Episcopals or Unitarians, maybe at one end, you are not required to do shit. <laughs> you don't even need to believe in God. Come be a Unitarian, right? You know, so that all the way on one end and then all the way on the other end would be like, you know, your traditional cults or, you know, you're, we're, you're, you are to live on a commune you are to give total authority of your life to one individual leader. You are to shun everybody who disagrees with you, disconnect from your family, right? We all have, we've all read or seen enough examples of these super Mm -hmm. high control movements and you can plot organized religions along that continuum. and, And something like Jehovah's witnesses would be more on the high control end where, you know, there is shunning of people who do not get in line and, There is a real kind of separation from the world in a way that can be very detrimental to people, especially those who get kind of ground up in the gears of keeping that machine rolling and Mm -hmm. the higher control environment, probably something like the more work it's going to take if you're going to get out of that and acclimate to individualized Western culture.
1: I used to get, I was part of a movement uh, and we were working out our values together. And it had like, we wanted to eat healthy and eat sustainably. So there was these impulses towards uh, more or organic whole foods Mm -hmm. leaning towards vegetarianism. And we had someone show up at an, at a gathering and she wondered, can I belong? And on purpose, she went out and got the most disgusting, like partially hydrogenated snack chips and put them on the, the potluck table to see what we would do. <laughs> I love
0: that experiment. That's awesome. What happened?
1: Uh, no one said anything. That's critical. good. Or let's say hopefully no one did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure there was a few who brought these
0: chips uh, sort of thing. But so you guys you guys passed the test in that case.
1: Yeah, it's not, not too much policing. Yeah. But um, I also wonder, um, Dan, if there's a, you know, I think of Fowler's stages of faith. And stage three, I think it's called conventional, is where you go, I, I'm part of the right group, and I have the right set of beliefs. And I wish this weren't the case, but it seems pretty normal to when you have a spiritual awakening, suddenly you feel superior to other people and draw lines. I've had this enlightened experience. I've had this new awareness of God and myself and how the world works and you haven't experienced it. So you're on, somehow on the other side. And I just see that. I, I know that's what happened for me. I wish it wasn't the case, you know, and yeah. especially, especially with the Jesus way, that would be the la- if you really knew the Jesus way, that's the last thing that he would have wanted to come out of this is this exclusivism, but it does seem like it was something that his disciples did as well. Uh, hey, should we stop that guy from healing people because exactly. he's not
0: part of our group? I love that that stuff's in the Gospels. Like that's, It's so great that that's in there for Jesus to respond to that in, in the narrative, right? Because it's such a human tendency. And that's one of the examples in my mind where the Gospel accounts get at something deeply psychologically true. About people, yeah. And,
1: yeah. and I think what's been for, um, for myself and many people who have been on kind of an evolving journey of faith, one of the discrete shifts is from this posture of superiority and drawing lines to a bit more curiosity. Instead of going, mm-hmm. how are we different? Go, what might I have in common with whoever I'm interacting with? Right.
0: Okay. One last little PSA, and it's also kind of the cult stuff. And then we will we can move more towards the meat of the episode. One character mentions brainwashing and says that Bill Gothard is brainwashing people. This is a term that psychologists and sociologists uh, and religion scholars just do not use anymore. And the reason for that is that it just has not held up to scientific scrutiny. You can't find it if you have a careful definition of it. And it kind of ends up meaning whatever people want it to mean. There is no agreed upon definition and it doesn't appear to be sort of an empirically identifiable phenomenon. I also think that the term brainwashing kind of oversimplifies a more complicated process that often goes back and forth between leader and follower or speaker and listener. And I actually think in this case, especially between Gothard and like the male heads of the household in IBLP, to call that brainwashing, I think is just, now maybe he's brainwashing some of the women who have no control and no power Mm -hmm. in this situation, like that would be a more apt description still. It's a a problematic term. This is something I want to talk about with you and ask about what you were drawn to in this context because I actually think that, there's an interesting question here. So that, by the way, thus ends the brainwashing PSA. We don't we don't use that term and those are the reasons for it. <laughs> you, we can talk about coercive leaders. We talk about emotional abuse, physical abuse, other kinds of spiritual abuse, right? But brainwashing is, is just inexact and oversimplified. But here is something that that brings up for me that this episode also really brought up for me. There are some instances where Gothard's behavior reminds me of, instead of saying cult leader, I will say, a uh, abusive religious leader with a bunch of power, especially around the grooming of sexual assault victims and the sort of the interpersonal stuff that it appears Gothard was up to, you know, the, the one woman who had been groomed by him relayed these conversations between Gothard and her dad, some of who, some of which she was in the room for Of like, and and this, you know, using this authority language of like, hey, your dad's no longer has authority over you. Now I have authority over you. It's been transferred to me. That stuff is very reminiscent of the kind of stuff that leaders of these groups, where there is a cult of personality around them, the way that they can act. So that stuff is, for lack of a better term, cult leader-esque. And I want to call that out. But Gothard is bound by things that other leaders of new religious movements are not bound by, namely fundamentalist Christianity. He's got to make a compelling case that a literal, straightforward reading of the text backs up anything that he says. Now, he gets squiggly with that, of course, but there are certain boundaries within which he's got to operate. If he throws out something that is like, I don't know. Like if he were to say all of a sudden modesty is not important, you know what I mean? Like it would not fly because these are conservative Christians who are coming to him for order and they want a they want a chapter and verse to back up everything. And I think the fact that he was edged out of IBLP once he started having these scandals is actually proof of that, that his teachings mm-hmm. – fit into that system so well that they could do it without him. They may or may not have preferred to do it without him, but they were able to because it is more about that fundamentalist Christianity. I want to get your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. And then I have one more kind of thought on this topic.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely an important insight. I often hear people talk about how they felt quote unquote brainwashed or manipulated And sometimes I, and I've had to do this to myself where I want to project all the, all the negative stuff onto the group or the authority figure or the teaching. And they definitely have influence. And especially when you're younger or more vulnerable, there is a, an element of control to those things, but in a democratic society, we also choose into things. And sometimes we choose into Um, systems, beliefs, and structures that are toxic. And so I I know it's been healing and helpful for me. And I encourage other people to say, how much, how much responsibility did you have for choosing in Mm. into this? Not, not for what was done to you that was potentially abusive, but you had some attraction to this and. You were, you thought there was some
0: exchange going on. How have, if you're okay answering, how have you answered that question for yourself? Because some of the choices you made, some of them were not choices, right? You were socialized into it. And then some choices were made as an adult. And when you as head of the household had plenty to gain in, in the system, I'm not sure if you actually experienced it as gain as power or whatever. I don't think we've talked about that.
1: Yeah. If I was going to add a PSA, it would be about this. Let's hear it. And I noticed this both in uh, Shiny Happy People and in several other religious documentaries that have come out recently, the ones about Hillsong, etc. But I think it would apply across the board is attributing motive to action and that a person meant to do this or that. And as you know, in interpersonal relationships, rarely is it ever helpful for another person to go, I know why you did what you did, you know. And I see a lot of that in this documentary of people saying that Bill Gothard had this intent or that uh, Jim Bob had this this motive for what they did. I think that's a bit of
0: an overreach.
1: You, it's It might be better to focus on what the effect of their choices
0: had. Yeah, the effects of their actions. Yeah, exactly. It's unfortunate to me that there are – that some of the talking heads, some of the people that they interview, like over the course of the series, I feel more or less like I have to take what they say with a giant grain of salt because they are being really over-inclusive. They are mm-hmm. making claims about motives that that they – you know, frankly, don't have any access to there. There are no records of people saying this was their motive. And so mm-hmm. they are assuming that they know motives. And then there are other people like Kristen Dumay and and who are being really careful with their words. And when they come on screen, I'm like, Oh great. I'm in good hands here. And it it's a little bit annoying as a yeah. viewer to have to kind of keep controlling for that. I suppose that's just kind of the epistemological situation of living in the world. We have to do that. We are constantly discerning, who to trust and, and to what degree and, and and whatnot. But, you know, personally, I as an accuracy-obsessed person, I would like a little less heavy-handed approach and a little bit more just the facts. I think that would also go to actually convince more conservative people of the issues here. I, I think to some degree, the intended audience for this documentary is people who are very skeptical of most religion and certainly conservative religion, mm-hmm. And they're, they're a little bit playing to the crowd there. I think that there are plenty of absolutely destructive and disgusting and disqualifying things that they could discuss and sort of show documentation for without that over-inclusivity and still get the point across. But I didn't make the film, you know, the series, whatever. It's not up to me.
1: So when I watch it, I'm first noticing this is an interpretation yeah. of, of motive but the other way i want to i try and listen is that person is bearing witness to the emotional impact of their experience exactly
0: that's true and and most of the people here it is really tough because they are survivors of abuse almost every yeah. one of those people giving interviews other than the scholars like like Kristen Tome mm-hmm. who they interview for you know for for that angle right so yeah. okay well here's the other side of that issue of, you know, whether Gothard really is one of these, you know, cult leader types other than those examples. And I'm not a scholar of his life. I don't know what other scandals and stuff there might be, but just from the, just from the content of the show, other than the stuff about the grooming and this sort of person to person abuses of power that he certainly did most of the stuff from Gothard, I think of him less as a cult leader and more as a salesman. Mm. And he is selling something that especially the men in the audience desperately, desperately want to buy. And I think that's a really different lens. And I think a more accurate lens for most of this stuff. And to place it all on Gothard's shoulders, I think is actually to let the, the, the people in the audience kind of off the hook. And I don't mean, I'm not saying that to kind of Point the finger at you, Mark, for having been involved in it. I think you've been, I think you've been honest about that. But I wondered what you thought about that, either just from watching it or your own experience in the community. Do you think that, that I'm onto something?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just say from direct experience, there was, uh, and many people have had this where you go the first night to the Gothard seminar, and it's a little weird, and you're like, "Why am I here?" And then you're like, okay, he's saying some things that sound wise. Oh, and now it's getting a little more, a little more specific. In in some ways, I think what Gothard was doing was taking beliefs or values that are like held by many people and creating structures and spaces of belonging where those, those beliefs or values are actually enforced. And so it hits the ground in a concrete way. So yeah. many people, you know, believe in a male authority patriarchal structure, but to kind of ritualize it takes it to a different level than just having it be a free-floating idea.
0: Yeah, the government is not going to turn America back, quote unquote, big air quotes, to, you know, something more like the theocracy that conservative American Christians imagine it and are constantly told by their own leaders that it was, right? Yeah. The government's not gonna do that. So our option is basically to turn our families and our little local communities into that or or give ourselves. It's like the Benedict option at yeah. a local level, 25 years before that book came out, the Rod Dreyer book, that was such a you know big talking point for a couple of years there. So Gothard's saying, here is like step by step practically concretely in the real world how your family and maybe a community of families in your area mm-hmm. can live out God's plan in a way that your local officials are never going to help you do and mm-hmm. and so it's not like people are missing theoretical teachings that they might agree with they can go to church and hear those theoretical teachings gothers giving them a an actual concrete step by step plan to live, quote, a godly life. Now, underneath that nesting of a godly life, there are probably, there are surely a mix of motivations, some of which are probably good. I'm sure they are. No human being has only bad motivations. I I don't believe there are Mm -hmm. any such people that have ever existed. So they want to keep their kids safe. If it's the 80s or 90s, they might be worried about crime, AIDS like they mentioned your, you know, if you stay a virgin, you will never get a sexually transmitted disease. Now, Mm -hmm. it just kind of depends on what, I guess if you, (laughs) if you would never kiss before your wedding night, that's probably true, Mm -hmm. but there are other things you can engage in. And if you're never a
1: victim of, of sexual trauma. Well,
0: exactly. If you're never a victim of sexual assault or rape, right? Exactly. So, but like, yeah, so he gives that concrete Stuff and that is the difference, and therein lies the power. But I gotta say this I keep forgetting to bring this up. I meant to bring it up episode one. My dad was a therapist from uh, I guess 1982 or so for 40, 50 years. And th- they had an anecdote him and his colleagues, they were all Christians and they often saw Christian clients, although they were regular therapists like marriage family therapists or licensed psychologists. And they would say Gothard would come to town and then they would they would like almost mark their calendars for six weeks out and they would start getting calls from families that tried the Gothard system. It didn't work Mm -hmm. and they needed to consult a therapist. Mm -hmm. And I think that that also gets at this point of it was concrete. And where else can you go for concrete plans? You can go to a therapist like that's one of the things that we have. And, you know, I do a lot of very concrete sort of behavior planning, goal planning, sort of what's going to happen this week. What are we moving toward? We really do dig our fingers into the soil, so to speak, because that is what people need a lot of times. Mm -hmm. How do I stop this destructive pattern? How do I build this productive pattern? What is going on here? How do we change our communication style? You know, you do often need practical help. Therapy is very expensive, of course. There are other barriers to other kinds of, of practical help. And here's this one-stop shop for a whole system. It's a fucking incredible product if you can sell it well. Too bad it doesn't work. uh, But man, you could, you can make a lot of money selling that and get a lot of power.
1: Well, and I think, you know, speaking to Bill Gothard in particular, I would say on my subjective experience, and I've talked to other people, the teachings were, were the most compelling part. Not him. Yeah. Not him. So you'd go, yeah, it's kind of weird that he's mm-hmm. so old and has never been married and it feigns being an expert in marriage and family. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a guy who has very much fun. Why does he always wear those blue uh IBM suits and the red tie? Mm-hmm. This is all kind of some of the people, the insiders are a little bit awkward. Like, so you're picking up on this, but you know i don't think this is exclusive to religious uh teachings, but whenever somebody presents a this could help make your life better, we wonder maybe maybe they're right right and i'll I'll try it and we're we're in search of some guidance like that absolutely
0: okay, Mark. we need to transition into our second patreon half uh anything to get in under the public you know, deadline here.
1: I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot left to, to get to for sure. One, one other thing that this documentary has in common with a lot of other exposés is that we're going to find out that there's some mismanagement of money. Yeah. We're going to find out that there's some sexual Impropriety. impropriety. Yep. And we're going to find out that there's some kind of abuse of power or authority. Yeah. And it's funny how we're so surprised. <laughs> Can you believe it? And it's like, if you get a hundred human beings together, yeah, someone's going to have some abuse of their power, something uh, not helpful sexually is going to happen. Yeah. And, and someone's going to rob the kitty or someone's not going to get paid and another person paid better. Yeah. And so I just think we need to get over being shocked or surprised by this. And if we're honest, in most of the communities that we've been part of, these things have been at play. So the question is, what do we do when human nature inevitably plays out? in the systems and structures that we're in. And maybe there's healthier ways to navigate
0: it than others. I think that's great. Once we get to the patron paywall, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a hard question or two about some of that Mm -hmm. stuff. I I think you'll be game Mm -hmm. for it. We do have a link in the show notes to Mark's website And you can check out all his work in spiritual direction and the groups that you guys are running and all that stuff. We've talked about that a little bit in the previous episodes you guys have probably heard. And if you want to join the Patreon and get access to the second half of this and the other Shiny Happy People episodes or response episodes, you go to patreon.com slash Dan Koch. That link is in the show notes. It's $5 a month. It includes access to at least two exclusive episodes per month. Facebook group membership, which is for patrons only and ad-free and usually slightly extended episodes, uh, versions of the main feed episodes. Okay, patrons, we will see you on the other side.